Well, um, I bring good news firstly. There are more fans in here today. I bring even more good news is that we discovered this week that in the basement we found this 100-year-old extremely powerful turbine that sucks air way from under the building and will next week bring it into the sanctuary, we are told. So that's the plan. So come back next week for even more cooling. Hopefully it'll be a little bit cooler. Um, if you're in a hot place, by the way, do feel free to move around the pews because there are some hot places and some cold places we've discovered in this building right now. So if you need to slide along, feel free to do that. So uh, on the morning of Tuesday, September the 11th, 2001, four commercial airliners traveling from the northeast of the United States to California were hijacked. American Airlines Flight 11 crashed into the North Tower of the World Trade Center in New York at 8.46, closely followed by United Flight 175, which hit the South Tower at 9.03 a.m. Both 100-story towers collapsed within a few hours, leading to the damage and collapse of surrounding buildings, too. A third hijacked flight, American Airlines Flight 77, crashed into the west side of the Pentagon at 9.37, and a fourth plane, United Flight 93, was flown in the direction of Washington, D.C., but was downed by a bunch of heroic passengers before it could reach the capital. 2,996 people died, and over 6,000 were badly injured. I wonder um, if you are old enough where you were when you heard the news. I was in the United Kingdom for a couple of months and I was driving to a gym where I was working and I heard the news on the radio and I raced to the only place I knew in the local area which had an internet connection, which was the local library. And I jumped on one of those huge, massive old computers and typed in the address of all the news websites I could find, only to find that basically the whole internet had caved under the weight of people trying to find news. In the weeks and in the months that followed, many memorials and vigils were held around the world. Photographs of the dead and the missing were posted around ground zero, just like these ones on the screens. Pew Research did a study and found that 71% of all Americans said that they were suffering from depression. Nearly half were having difficulty concentrating and a third said they were having trouble sleeping. But in all honesty, it went even further and even wider than just the sense that we have lost those that we know and love. Something was triggered that day. The shock waves of grief and mourning went all over the world of sympathy and sadness and lament. And even today, we are still impacted by them. Now, I apologize because I know that's a heavy way to start a sermon on a Sunday morning. But I wonder, as I shared those words, what the emotions were that stirred in your heart, what your memories are of the day. We are continue to look at the Beatitudes of Jesus, and this morning we're confronted by these challenging, beautiful, hard, glorious words which say this, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, I realize that might seem a little bit heavy for like, this is Sunday morning, Ben, it's really hot, we're heading to the beach later, we're on the kids on summer vacation, like, that's not really where we want to be, the vac- like, we've got the pandemic in our rearview mirror a little bit more now, we, we don't want to stay in the heavy place, we want to be in the joyful place, so why are we looking at this? Well, here's my promise to you this morning, 
if this isn't your story now, praise the Lord. If this isn't even a story that triggers something from your past, then praise the Lord. But I promise you that these words of Jesus are profound and meaningful and life-changing and will impact your futures and even the way that you minister to those people that you love all around you. Blessed are those who mourn. So what what does it mean? Why does Jesus effectively seemingly say, happy are those who are unhappy? Well, let's go into some definitions just for a moment. So to start with, we we have to be able to define and differentiate between mourning and grief. Grief, we're told, is what happens when we think and feel on the inside when something or someone dies. Examples include fear, loneliness, panic, pain, yearning, anxiety. It's deeply internal, deeply painful, deeply personal. But mourning is different. Mourning is what we do with the grief. Mourning is the outward expression of our grief. It is the expression which we do to set that free out into the world around us. But like, here's the thing. Mourning is not really part of Western culture. It's not in our normal ways of being. Psychologists, psychiatrists tell us this, that In the West, rather than mourn, we're much more likely to go to one of three behaviors, and maybe you might recognize these. The first one is to repress grief. I'm an English man. I know all about how this works. Uh, The 31st of August, 1997, saw another death, a death of Princess Diana. She was aged 36 when her car crashed in a tunnel in uh, Paris. Like 9-11, there were these global outpourings of sadness and tears and mourning. Everywhere, it seemed, except in the royal family itself. Here's the image that lives with me to this day. You might recognize some of these characters. Uh, the The small one in the middle is the other ginger British person who lives in this part of California. That's Harry. And then you've got William and their dad, Charles, and their grand grandfather on the other side. Um, No tears, no outpouring of grief and sorrow and sadness. Well, you might say, well, that's just how royal families are supposed to behave. But if I'm honest, that's basically what funerals looked like for me growing up. I wonder about you. I can't say how many funerals I've conducted where I've said to somebody, but how are you really doing? Because you've lost a loved one. For someone to say, oh yeah, I'm fine, I'm good. I'm okay, it's all all right. We go to funerals and we say some sort of like vaguely nice things about a person or in some instances we have a bit of a dig at the person and then after an hour we go off from the funeral to have a celebration of life. It's too hard to stay sad so we move on. Yet Jesus says blessed are those who mourn. The second thing that we often go to is we, we go to retreat and retreat is where we avoid pain. We divert from pain. We head to everything that is not sad and difficult and too hard to think about. We take up hobbies or addictions. We fill our minds with good thinking of other things. And I think that's particularly true in a culture that we now live in where everything is so fast, right? What happened yesterday is not relevant. It's moved on to something different today. 
We used to read these great big huge things called books that would take very many weeks to read that would fill us with information. We, we now have TikToks and we have you know, Reels and Snapchat and things which change on an instant basis. We're wired to always move to the next dopamine hit, the thing that will quench the yearnings inside of our spirits. And so we, we retreat, we keep away from things that feel difficult and too hard. And then there's a third response that we're told about, which is the response of resignation. And resignation is when we go, it's just too bad. It's too much. It's too awful. We, we despair. We have hard-heartedness. We have a melancholy. We have this pessimism because we just look out and we say, like, the world is too far gone. My heart is too far gone. And we just shut the whole thing down and refuse to engage But yet Jesus says this, blessed are those who mourn. Mourning, it seems, Jesus says, is a blessed thing to do. And it's not just Jesus. The Bible is full of grief. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Lamentations. Good to read when you're in a good mood, when you're by a swimming pool or the beach. Or the book of Job, which is not a happy book. Half of the text in the Psalms is grief and lament and mourning. Why? Why is that good for us? How does that help anything? Well, it turns out that there are these three incredible benefits that come from the place of mourning. The first one is this, is the place of presence the place of God's presence. As we learned last week, God is on your side when you are at the bottom of life. God is on your side at the bottom of life. Psalm 34, 18 says this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Like the Holy Spirit is often told to us as a comforter, those who draws near in our pain. You know, Jesus himself when he's confronted with the grave of his really good friend Lazarus, shortest verse in the whole Bible, it just literally says this, Jesus wept. Now that strikes me, that, that little verse, because Jesus knew he was about to bring Lazarus back from the dead. So it's a kind of strange thing to do, to weep if you know that that's not the end of the story, but yet Jesus engages in this public act with these two sisters of grieving and mourning for what has been lost. We are invited to find the presence of God at the bottom of life. Psalm 23 says this, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's actually when we don't repress when we don't retreat, when we don't resign, but we enter in to the pain that we meet God himself who is awaiting for us. And I wanna show you a little video. This is from Tom, who's our worship pastor, retelling a story of when he lost someone very dear to him a few years ago. My name is Tom. I am a singer, songwriter, a music producer, and a worship leader. In 2016, my mum passed away after 
um, struggling with Alzheimer's and dementia and it's the first time in my life that I had ever lost anyone that was close to me and I can remember um, as a worship leader having to lead worship in my church and trying to find songs at that time that um, could really reflect how I was feeling and what I was going through and it was a real struggle because all of the songs were focused on victory and overcoming and you know focusing on the positive and there were really not many songs that dealt with grief or lament or suffering and if they did it was kind of just very briefly touched on but then let's get to the other side which is everything's going to be okay And so that kind of made me start to really think about how we um, deal with grief and how we deal with lament and mental health and all of these things in the church and in Western culture. And I think as a whole, we're not great at dealing with it and addressing it and we don't feel comfortable. And I kind of went on a journey in, with myself and in worship and in music of learning how to deal with the grief that I was feeling, the mourning that I was going through, in light of my faith and my relationship with God. And as an artist, the way that I deal with things is to write songs. That's always been how I have been able to process things. And so I began to work on um, some songs and uh, an EP that helped me to really deal with the grieving process. Out of the ruins you made me hope the giver of life is awakening hope I lift my eyes to see your faithfulness take courage my soul so I created this EP called lament that really the songs all really dealt with uh, what I was going through at the time and I approached my good friend Jeremy Stanley um, who lives in New York to create some artwork for the project and the artwork that he came up with was a picture of me with wearing a mask and the mask represents the kind of the grief that we wear and the, the um, kind of like a mask of, of mourning and um, it's there we don't always know it's there but it's kind of dripping down and that dripping down on my face is the process of um, as I go through the grief, it comes away, it's not permanent. And as I go through it, it kind of comes off. And underneath, you can see there's different colors, there's sparkles that are coming through. And that represents the fact that grief and mourning isn't the final destination, that, you know, we look to hope and in Jesus, there is a hope and a future. Um, but we can't just bypass that grieving section. It's something that we need to go through together. And so my hope is as a church that we learn how to mourn together, that we are not just comfortable in the times of joy and celebrating each other, but we're also just as comfortable in the times of mourning and suffering and being there for each other and then allowing us the space that we need to find God in those moments. Bringing the dead things to life
It's beautiful. It's really beautiful. So we find the presence of God in the place of mourning and grieving. But we also find healing, and Tom spoke about that uh, in his video. They often say, don't they, that funerals are not for the dead, that funerals are for the living. Because there's something that needs to happen in the process of remembering that leads to healing. Um, my son is 11, Will, and he's kind of in that stage of life where he regularly comes home from school like covered in scrapes and cuts because he's like fallen off something or he's been playing sport or like something's happened. And like I'm, as a dad, there's like a part of me which is like, come on, son. It's like this is part of becoming a man. Like this is really good for you to have. But because Laura is a, like a much better parent than me, uh, she, she said, oh, darling, like, you know, come here. We, we, need to, like, sort, we need to heal those things. We need to do something with them. And she's like, I've got to clean out those wounds because if we don't clean them out, they're going to get infected. And he doesn't want to do it because, of course, like, when you clean out a, like, a graze or a scrape, it's really uncomfortable, right? It stings. And so he's like, no, leave me alone. But she's like, no, I've got to clean it out. And so she just patiently, gently, and she lovingly you know, washes out his cuts. And she puts on like antiseptic and she bandages them up so that the healing process can happen fully. And there's something about when we, we mourn that it's that same process that happens. It allows for the healing to begin in our stories. I heard this from a lady called Katie who lost a child. She said, grief is a non-linear aggressive friend. Pain does not like to be pushed. It needs to be validated and healed. Grief is a divinely designated gift to produce pain. It can't be rushed, it can't be directed, it can't be prescribed. It's got to be embraced wholly as it comes, respected deeply, faithfully. It's both holy and terrible. We grieve because we love. Or as Raniel Eric Cantalameta says, blessedness does not just involve a happiness, once for our senses, no, it's not a simple euphoria or lightheartedness, but it involves a complete and ongoing well-being for the whole person. Blessed are you who weep now, Luke's gospel says, for you will laugh later. Now, like, don't get me wrong, of course, you can get stuck here for too long. Some people get stuck in the place of grief and mourning their whole lives. But the thing that I feel like I need to hear, and maybe we all need to be reminded of, is that unless we go to the place of mourning, then we'll never get past the place of mourning. Unless we go to the place of grief, we'll never get past the place of grief. And I want to suggest maybe as guys, we find this particularly hard because we do not want to cry. We do not want to show emotion and sadness. So we find healing there, but then we find one more thing as well which is that we find empathy. As we find healing from the Lord, it actually we move into a new space which allows us to show care, kindness, and compassion for other people. 2 Corinthians says this, Praise be to the Lord, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles. Thank you, Jesus. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received from God. God comforts you and you get to comfort others. Romans puts it like this, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. 
I was doing a lot of research looking at the way that people grieved and conducted funerals in Jesus' times. And there's this Jewish practice called Shiva, and it's just the word for seven. And what would happen, and it still happens uh, today with Orthodox Jewish families, is that when a loved one dies, the whole community, the family, the friends, the worshiping community, like they come and they huddle around the grieving person. Seven days, three times a day, they grieve and they mourn. And the rule is that they cannot say anything until the grieving person speaks first. If the mourning person wants to sit in silence, they sit in silence. If the mourning person wants to speak, then they speak. If they want to share stories, they share stories. If they want to pray, they pray. If he wants to worship, then they worship. 21 times they do this. There is this sense of caring and loving and coming together. I've done um, too many funerals, if I'm honest, now in my life. But the first ever funeral that I conducted was of a girl called Lucy. I'd been an ordained pastor for just a couple of months. I'd never done a funeral, never even been involved in leading a funeral. But I woke to the news that this 17-year-old girl, she was a Team GB under-18 athlete and Olympic hopeful. She had been grown up in this town where we were serving, and she'd been run down by a drunk off-duty soldier late the night before. And everybody knew her. Her mum was a teacher in a school. Her dad was a senior community leader and a banker in the city. People had grown up as she'd gone up through the schools. But I didn't know her. I'd only been there a few months. She wasn't part of our church community. The families were not Christians as far as we knew. And so I went down to the city and, and to the, the school. And, and there, like, people were literally standing at the school gates, like, crying in tears, in shock. And so I spent some time, you know, just going around and, and talking and praying with people. But then I had to just go back to the church and I thought, like, how, how can we minister? How can we bless? How can we do anything that is good in, in this moment? And so I, I went back to my office and we, we started writing a card out to the family. And as I was writing it, though, the, the, the um, administrator from the church, she came into my office and said, Ben, you've got to come quick. I was like, what do you mean I've got to come? You've got to come there literally here now. And sure enough, I went down through the building just like this. And, and there in the front pews of the church was this mum and this dad and this younger 11-year-old brother. As I walked up you know, through, through the aisle, the dad tried to get up to, to, to say hello. And he just collapsed in my arms. Like they, just no words. Unfortunately, I didn't know what to do, but the only good thing I could remember was one bit of brilliant advice that somebody gave me at seminary, which was this. The worse the tragedy, the less words you use. The worse the tragedy, the less words. And so I just sat with them. And for, for the days that followed, we sat with that family. We had a memorial in the church where local school children could come. And these were the, the hearts that they made out of those little tea-like candles. When it got to the funeral, there were like hundreds and hundreds of people. And the press arrived and the Team GB athletic squad turned up for the funeral. It was like one of the most sad and tragic of days. But it was also an incredible privilege to walk with that family through that stage of their life. Now, I, I write to uh, my friends and my family in England via email regularly, and I, I tell them all about you. I tell them all about God and what he's doing. And, you know, the first person that always writes back is the mum. And to this day, I don't think that she's a Christian. I, I, she hasn't told me that. 
but she always writes back to tell me how grateful she is that there were people who walked with her in that darkest part of her life. That she says, you're like family to us. We're so grateful that you and Laura are doing really well because we're doing better now too and we found some sort of healing through the ministry of presence. Mother Teresa says, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord weep. You see, tears and affliction are proclaimed blessed not because they, make people, because they make people more mature, they make people more profound, they make people more authentic, more sympathetic to the suffering of others. In a word, it's our suffering that actually makes us more, more human. And so if you're, you know, you're here today and, and that's been your story, it doesn't mean that God caused it to give you pain, but it means that God can always use it to bring blessing and healing to others. Grief, mourning matters. But I think there's two other parts of this story that we, we need to just touch on for, for a few minutes. The first is that when, when Jesus speaks of mourning, he isn't actually specifically talking about death of a human person. He's actually got something bigger in his mind. He's talking about the overarching world of sickness and, and death and sin. You see, when Jesus talks about mourning, what he's actually reflecting on is the fact that in the beginning there was Adam and Eve, those first humans. And in their turning away from God and in their rejection and in their rebellion, in the entrance of the devil into the human created order, that there was like a brokenness that came into the world. A brokenness that affects everything from like earthquakes to like the brokenness of human values and the darkness that we see outside there. And so when Jesus speaks about this word, which is in the original translation, to mourn actually means to mourn, lament, to grieve, or to feel guilt, he, he recognizes that there is actually a place for Christians to mourn over what's going on out in the world. That when we, we gather, there is supposed to be a response from us which says, it is broken. It's not right yet. This is not what God meant when he made it. Earthquakes, pandemics, even grieving over the places where we look out the church and we say, what is happening in the name of Jesus? The abuses, the scandals. This is not as God intended it to be. We mourn and we grieve. But it's not just like out there, it's also in here too. It's easy to judge other people, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe you've done it this week as you've watched the news, I don't know. It's very easy to make judgments. But the primary place that we're told to mourn is actually sometimes that we mourn our own stuff. And I know that's not very like PC anymore. But 2 Chronicles says this, if my people, which is you by the way and me, if you are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I will forgive the sin and I'll heal the land. You know, 500 years ago, a, a distant relative of, of mine, a guy called Thomas Cranmer, he, he wrote this thing called the Book of Common Prayer. And for hundreds of years around the world, and they still do it today in many, many places, Christians, when they gather to worship, will use these words. We acknowledge and we bewail our manifold sins and wickedness. Now, I imagine you wouldn't love me if I made you do that every week. <laughs> I actually imagine you probably wouldn't come anymore. 
but there's something, isn't there, that actually we, we, we should kind of lost, I think, in, in our kind of more charismatic, more modern traditions of church, where we kind of want to go to the happy place all the time, but we don't, as Tom said, sometimes go to that place where we recognize that there's a brokenness inside each one of us. And that there is a mourning that's supposed to come, a grieving even of the things we do and we say, we think. Jesus says in Luke's gospel, blessed are you who will weep now, for you will laugh later. Effectively, you might weep now because you may look at the world and you might look at your heart and you think, this isn't right yet, but don't worry because in all eternity you will laugh and you will have joy because you will find eternal salvation and happiness and peace. Woe, though, Jesus says to those who laugh now, who basically think, oh, this is all there is, there's nothing else, this is just everything that exists. For you will mourn and weep later, Jesus challengingly says us, because maybe you missed Maybe you missed the good news of Jesus. Because the good news of Jesus says is that despite our brokenness, like despite the message, despite the things that are not right, that we are loved, we are forgiven, we are set free. And what God wants to do is to welcome us home to provide his presence and his healing to our lives. That's what it means to become a Christian. And maybe today, if you're not a Christian, that's the invitation, come home. Give your life to Jesus. But then there's one final way as I close that I just want to touch on as well because I think the place of mourning also goes further even than this. You see, if mourning is the correct response to grief and grief is the response to loss, then actually loss happens all the time, right? Loss happens any time then something changes. You can have loss in a relationship when a relationship ends. You can have loss when you move houses. You can have loss when you even go through the stages of life. There's a guy called John Eldridge. Some of you know him. He's a very famous author, and some of you even actually know him. Um, He grew up around here. But one of his books, he talks about these stages of life that people go through. And he's talking particularly to men, and that's what he does. He writes to men who are cowboys and things. That's his kind of deal. And you might not agree with everything he says, but but here's here's what I think is really good that he does say. He says that there are these stages of life. He talks about childhood, then going on to being like an adolescent cowboy, being a warrior, a lover, a king, and a sage. Like these places that we journey through life. And he says that every time that there's a transition, there's also going to be a loss and grief because you're saying goodbye to something. And I thought about his words and I thought, oh yeah, there's something really correct and beautiful there. Because I'm thinking about uh, the last church that Laura and I, we ministered. We had a lot of people who were in this kind of transition from being a king to a sage. So they, they, a lot of them had been like very senior, like executives and lawyers and doctors and run these massive great empires. And they'd been the heads of their families with their children at home. And they were kind of in a particular part of life where the children had grown up and they were moving out of the nest. Maybe they'd retired from their, their primary career and so like the phone didn't ring in the, in the morning asking for their opinions or for them to be in charge of their empires. And they, and they were stuck. Had this group of men, particularly, who just did not know how to move on, like and so they they, more, they they were like they were stuck, caught, like desperately wishing that they were still the father of their families, or desperately wishing that they were still in charge of their business empires, but they couldn't get to what they were called to, which was to become the sages, the wise counselors, the mentors in the community. 
I wonder, like, even as you look at your life, I wonder, are there things that you look back on that you haven't grieved yet? That you haven't mourned? That you haven't really dealt with, if you're honest, you've just kind of moved past it? You know, we moved here in 2019 from England, and we were like, yeah, this is going to be better. It's going to be so good. The weather is going to be so much better. And then it got to summer, and we thought, no, it's not. It's worse. Not not really. Um, But we didn't really spot that we'd grieve. We didn't really spot that there would be like a saying goodbye. We didn't really spot that there would be an incredible sadness that would also come from the fact that we don't get to see our family anymore. We don't get to hang out with our best friends all the time anymore. I wonder in in your life, have you got things that you haven't said goodbye to, that you haven't dealt with? A relationship, a time, a place, something that happened deep inside your soul. Because you see, God's invitation to you is, is to be present to your grief, to be present to your mourning. Because you, as you are present to your grief and your mourning, Jesus is present to you. His spirit is present to you. And that he longs to bring healing. He longs to bring his presence. And that through your healing, he longs to bring healing to other people too. And so we're going to pray.